20 years ago, I was injured on the job, which left me with a severe permanent disability. It forced me to discover my true passion and purpose. It wasn't until I started my direct sales business and later became one of the company's gratitude ambassadors that I realized I am a giver, a humanitarian, a cheerleader, and have a deep desire to inspire others. I had no idea it was possible to have a bigger impact until I launched my podcast to inspire others to live their passion, reclaim their purpose, and be open to so many possibilities. I am your host, Candace Snyder, and this is the Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities Podcast. Welcome back to the Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Uh, she has quite a story, quite a journey uh, regarding mental health. And so let me introduce you to Emily Grossman. Emily is a speaker, author, and peer life coach. She has received several awards for her work, including the National Council for Mental Wellbeing's prestigious Peer Specialist of the Year Award. For the last 15 years, Emily has worked in mental health, beginning her work on the front lines as a peer specialist, and then transitioning to mental health provider training and systems change work at large organizations such as Coordinated Behavioral Care, the Jewish Board, Columbia University Psychiatry Department, and the New York Association of Psychiatric Rehabilitation Services. Emily frequently speaks nationally at venues such as Columbia University, Rutgers University, and the Mental Health America's National Conference. She is the author of the forthcoming book, Unlocked, From Psych Hospital to Higher Self, which comes out this October 17, 2023. Not only does Emily bring her lived experience as a person in recovery from bipolar disorder for the last 15 years to each audience, reader, and client that she connects with, she also brings her heart. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much, Candice. It's such an honor to be here today. You're brave sharing your story and how you're helping others. I can't wait for our audience, our listeners, to hear how you've experienced this journey and how you've been able to get past the struggle, the like the deep struggle. I'm sure there are days, you know, you have your moments and your days that are really tough. But I know that, you know, your wisdom and your experience can help so many people. So can you share with us? some of this journey. Of course, Candace. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it started for me when I was 18 and I was um, at Emory University in Atlanta. It was my first semester there. And I started having these very intense panic attacks. And I didn't know it was a panic attack because this was in 1996 and there just wasn't a lot of education around mental health. So I didn't know what I was experiencing. I just knew I was completely immobilized by it. 
And um, this went on for a series of days where I wasn't going to class. I was barely eating. And then little by little, I learned that, um, or I, yeah, I learned that they were panic attacks, but I also started to have some suicidal thoughts. I called my mom and she got very scared. So she came down to Emory University to try to help me. But ultimately, I had to leave school. I was just really struggling. And so I was very embarrassed, but I went home and that started my mental health treatment journey. I was hospitalized right away in an adult psychiatric unit as an 18 year old. So it was a very scary experience. And then fast forward, I was hospitalized again with a manic episode. And so that's how they knew that I was bipolar because I was having this manic episode. And I did um, reapply to school at Rutgers because I live in New Jersey and my family thought it would be important for me to be close by to my treatment team and close by to them as well. So once that happened, um, I went to Rutgers the following fall and they had had me quote unquote stable on some medication and I was seeing a therapist regularly. Um, but after about two years, what happened is I broke through my medication is what they said. Um, the meds just stopped working for me. And, um, at that point, the hospitalizations became way more frequent. I was in and out of the hospital probably about 10 times, all for things like suicidal thoughts, mania, psychosis towards the end of my college career, which is seeing and hearing things that aren't there for those of you who don't know, um, and anxiety and deep depression and and uh, suicidal ideation. So I just was in and out of that hospital like a revolving door. And, you know, Candace, when you start to go in and out of the hospital like that, it really becomes like the hospital gets inside of you too, is what I like to explain. You become a quote unquote, and I use this with very extreme air quotes, mental patient. You really become someone who is just in the system and stops being able to function outside of the system that well. And so I was able to graduate college. I was going to classes in between each um, hospitalization. But um, once I graduated and I lost the structure of school, um, that's when things started to really unravel for me. And I had a hospitalization. I just was not functioning in society anymore. I was um, actively psychotic, so I was not in reality. And um, in that hospitalization, the last one, they interviewed me for the state hospital. And this was going to be a placement with no end date in mind. So this was going to be really institutionalization. And I was so scared about this that um, it almost like sparked some will within me to start really working on my recovery because I felt like I had so much I wanted to give the world 
And I knew I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was an English major. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, I wasn't preparing for a professional career in college necessarily. But um, I knew I wanted to make a difference in the world somehow. And that was enough so that I wouldn't let the state hospital doors close and lock behind me. Um, and so um, that started my journey with recovery. Um, and I can go into that more in depth um, as we you go will. on. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. going to definitely talk about that. Yes. First of all, for our listeners that are not really familiar with bipolar disorder, yes, well, we know there's a, you know, people hear, oh, there's a couple different types. So if you could just give us a little bit of a definition of what, what it is, what it feels like, like the mania versus the, you know, you know, the highs and the lows. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So bipolar, there's, there's several different types. I have bipolar 2 disorder. So bipolar is characterized by manic episodes. And in a manic episode for me, I was, um, I, I was not sleeping. I was um, very high. So what that means is that I was, I had all these projects in mind. I had all kinds of, um, theories about the world, conspiracy theories. And um, I was talking really fast and no one was understanding what I was saying, which was really frustrating for me and I'm sure the people around me. And sometimes when I was in a manic episode, I was also seeing and hearing things that weren't there, which is psychosis. But I was really divorced from reality. So on the one hand, it sounds really great. You have all these projects and all this energy. and But on the other hand, what starts to happen after a manic episode is that you crash into a deep and dark depression. And bipolar two, bipolar one is more that you stay on that manic side. Um, most more of the time you have more manic episodes. Bipolar two is that you have some manic episodes in your lifetime, but for the most part, you have the deep depression. And that's what I experienced. Okay. Yeah. I think that was really important. Yes. And the difference. Yes. You know, you'll hear, hear people just throw out the term, oh, bipolar, or I think that person is bipolar, but do, yes. do you really know what the difference is? So thank you yes. for clarifying. And um, yeah, I can't imagine what that must feel like. And, and I mean, unless you've experienced it, nobody can really know what is going through your mind, you know, that roosting mind and, you know, all these, uh, I've heard it explained to as like these grandiose ideas. Yes. Yes. Very grandiose. For example, I thought I was on a walk with my parents and there was a mound of dirt and I walked to the top of it and I thought I was a prophet to God. So things like that, that's an example of one of my delusions. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I mean, as you're sharing your story, you know, I feel I like I really feel for what you're going through. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine that 
somebody couldn't have like the heart to understand what it's like to have a mental health disorder, which is why it is so, so important for us to keep the conversation going and talk about it so that people can understand, people can be more kind. Yes. And appreciate that we're all different and our brains all work differently. And sometimes yes. we may have that chemical imbalance that we can't control unless we have some kind of treatment, whether that's medication, um, you know, therapy and all, and there's so many different things in between, right? Yes, absolutely. So in your instance, you were able to say, Hey, I don't want these doors to close behind me. As you put it, I don't want to be stuck in an institution for the rest of my life. So what did you do? I mean, you had this like thought, like, this is not happening to me. I'm changing this. How did you do it? Yeah. So um, it's an important question. So Candice, what happened is after that, I was roaming around. I didn't have um, a place to live. I didn't have a job, but I knew those things had to be secured. And I was very lucky that my parents were very active in my care, which was a blessing, but I couldn't stay with them because it was too hard on them and too destructive when I was home. Um, So they found what's called supported housing, where I was living with a group of other women that experienced mental illness. Most of them were in their 60s and I was 23 at the time. So, and most of their illnesses had seriously progressed. So I was watching, I I almost, I had another fear that I was going to become like them. And, you know, I never looked down on them in any way but I didn't want my illness to progress as far as theirs had. And so um, I, even though my illness had seriously progressed. And so once I was in supported housing, it was a motivator because I was watching all of my friends from college go on and get these jobs in New York City and live in New York City and Hoboken. And I I felt like I was way behind the eight ball. And so um, I started applying to jobs. At the same time, I was working with the same therapist that I was working with in college. And I was fortunate in college to be exposed to dialectical behavior therapy which is a kind of therapy, the way I summarize it is it's coping skills to manage intense emotions and difficult relationships. And so I learned, and you take it like it's a class in college. That's how I took it. It it was a class. They taught you all these coping skills and I took notes and I did homework. The problem was that after that, I did not make the decision to apply these coping strategies to my life. Well, Fast forward to living in supported housing, I started with the therapist again that really changed my life so much. And um, I started using the skills and using these coping strategies around intense emotions. I was able to get my first job. Now, I stayed in that job for about nine months before, unfortunately, I was fired. 
But to me, a nine month stretch of working after just, you know, almost getting institutionalized was progress. So um, I dusted myself off and I got a second full-time job. And while I was working at that full-time job, I was thinking about, I was miserable. I didn't like it. It wasn't matched to my skill set in any way. It was a very detail-oriented job and I'm more of an ideas person and, you know, creative. And so it wasn't a match for me at all. But while I was there, I started thinking about what kind of job would make me truly happy. And I remember thinking about when I was a kid, I would study. We had a big blackboard in my basement and I would study by lining up all of my dolls and teaching them all of the activities, all of the lessons I learned in school that day. And that's how I would study. So I connected to how much fun I had doing that. And I thought, I want to be an educator in some way. So I applied to graduate school. In the meantime, I lost that second job after nine months. But again, progress. And I was losing jobs because I was very doped up on medication. And so it was partially that I was not, I was dopey and like sleepy at jobs, which was never a good thing. And also I wasn't able to develop real worker skills because in college, while a lot of people might have some jobs and I had some jobs in high school also, but in college I couldn't really work because I was in and out of the hospital so much. So I applied to graduate school and I don't know how I got in. It was a true miracle because on my transcript, I kept having to withdraw from classes. I got good grades, but I kept having to withdraw from classes to go into the hospital. So there were W's for withdrawal all over my transcript. But anyway, I got into grad school and um, started in grad school. And in the first week of being there for education, I just, first of all, I was around people that were inspired by the same things that inspired me. It was very, I did not have to do one multiple choice exam. It was all projects and papers. And that's what I love. So um, that was great. But in my first couple weeks in class, I was sitting next to a friend of mine and I said, one day I'm going to move to Southern California and become a Buddhist. And she looked at me. I was not raised Buddhist. She looked at me and I thought she was going to think I was out of my mind. And I was like, was that another grandiose thought? I don't know. She looked at me and said, I'm from Southern California and I'm a Buddhist. And she said, and there's a meeting tonight and it's a sign. You have to come. So I'm not one to ignore signs. So I went and it was all about world peace, which I loved. And there, there was a chant, like a mantra that they said over and over again. It's a Sanskrit word. And I started chanting very soon thereafter. And Candace, none of the meds changed and my therapist didn't change, but I started to change from the inside out. And my symptoms started to lift, which was incredible. So that was, yeah, so that was the real turning point for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So would you say it's finding something to connect with 
Yes. Yeah. So I think it was twofold. One was that I was given this tool in chanting where when I was having a hard time, I had something I could do about it, you know, and it connected me to both the greater universe, but also to my internal highest and best self, because we believe and and by no means do I think that this is the only path. So please please understand that. But for me, it was a path that worked and and is a path that works. So we believe that when we chant, we're bringing out the highest and best version of ourselves and connecting it to the greater universe. Mm -hmm. So um, I really just started to feel better. And I feel like when I wish they did a brain scan of me previous when I was previously when I was first um, diagnosed and I wish I they did one of me now because I know that I don't feel the same way I was feeling then. I don't have the same symptoms. I don't have the same struggles and my brain just feels completely different that the dark cloud that I was always under is lifted now. Yeah, this is amazing. I mean, you're really, really inspiring people and giving them hope, sharing your story, because there's so many people out there that suffer with some type of mental disorder, and they don't know how to find their way out of it. Uh, You said something about how the meds over time, you know, they didn't work, or also that the fact that when you had those two jobs that, you know, you felt like foggy and like couldn't concentrate as best as, you know, you needed to in those kind of jobs. Yeah. And so it makes sense, you know, that employers are like, well, I need you to do this, but you can't, you're not focusing on, you know, what I need you to do. And then you end up, you know, without, you know, an income. Yeah. So what would you, okay. You found one thing for you that truly helped you, you know, connect with yourself, lift those dark feelings that you're having. Yeah. What would you tell somebody else how to find the thing that will work for them? Because your thing might not be the same thing for somebody else, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Candace, what I did, it's interesting when I was 18 and I was first diagnosed, I came home from college and I had a lot of spare time um, until I went back the next fall. And my mom was actually reading all kinds of different spiritual books because she was so distraught about what was happening to me. And she was trying to like understand it and make sense of it. So I remember she would like lay on her bed reading and I would pick up the books after she read them or she would recommend something to me. So one of the books I was reading, it was called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And um, he's, he's a, for those of you who don't know, he is, I don't think he subscribes to any one religion necessarily, but he was a doctor in India and then um, became kind of, I don't want to say a guru because that gives it the wrong connotation. He just started writing about spiritual principles and concepts and how to use them to succeed. 
And after reading that book, I actually prayed to the God of my understanding at that time that I would find a practice or a religion or something that was similar to what I was reading about in his book, because I was like, this is so great, but I have no idea how to practice that in my life. And then 10 years later is when I found my practice sitting in grad school. So I just would encourage people that if you are um, experiencing a mental health challenge and you are someone who is deeply spiritual or want to be someone who is deeply spiritual, start reading and learning about different philosophies and see what makes sense to you in your life and then pray about it to whatever the higher power is of your understanding. And I have a feeling that like me, you'll find a path that makes sense to you. That's great. So now let's fast forward to, I mean, you've, you've been working in this field 15 years. Yeah. You're helping a lot of people. And now you've written this book that's going to come out uh, October 17th, next month. And um, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to read it. And I wonder if you could share some more about what's in this book. How, how did this book come about? What made you decide to write this book? Yeah. So Candice, before I get a hundred percent of the book, just fast forward a little bit in my journey. Mm -hmm. I was a teacher for a number of years, sixth and seventh grade, which was wonderful. The kids were amazing, but a lot of them were coming to me with their own mental health challenges. And that's what led me to want to get into mental health was because I wanted to make a difference for these kids. And as a teacher, you're limited in terms of what you can do for them. So that's when I became trained as what they call a peer provider, which is someone who um, has recovered from their own mental health challenges and helps others to recover. And I did that working on the front lines, working with adults and young adults that were struggling with their mental health. And I felt like I had found my purpose. And from there, I was so, I was watching so many of them recover and go on to do amazing things with their lives that I was watching so many of them do that, that I just became really passionate about this idea that mental health recovery can happen for people. I mean, it's one thing to watch myself recover, but it's another thing to watch many people recover. And that's what led me to be a trainer and train mental health professionals on recovery. And that's also what led me to write my book. So, yeah, I'm sorry. You have a That's question, okay. Candace. No, yeah, I have a please. question because. Yeah. Okay. So when you were sixth, seventh grade educator. Yeah. You saw what was happening. Did you need to go back to school to transition into being able to be, you know, help health care provider, mental health care provider? What, what's the training that you needed to do 
Yeah. So it's a great question. So I looked into getting a master's in social work, but I had taken out a huge loan to go back to school the first time. And I just couldn't be saddled with more debt and I didn't have the means to pay my to pay for it. So um, I found a free program called Consumer Connections, where um, which is in New Jersey, run by the Mental Health Association in New Jersey. And what they do is they train people to become peer providers. And once I got trained to be a peer provider, and there is a certification for it, it's a real job. I want to emphasize that this was not volunteer work. This was a real job. Um, once, once I got the training, that's how I got into being a peer provider. And then, and then I combined my passion of being a peer provider with my passion for educating. And that's how I got into training because I had that master's in education as well. So you, you've had quite an education, you know, your journey in just education alone is a lot, uh, a yeah. lot to learn. There, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I know it's it's real training or it's real certification, but how long does it take? Um, well, you know, most of it was on the job training. So the certification, I believe it was um, six or seven weeks to get through the certification. But to become a certified peer, you had to do a certain number of hours of training, of um, working with on the job because most of this is really learned on the job. I mean, you learn about diagnosis and treatment and some of that stuff ahead of time, but it's really a job where until you're in the room with someone, it's hard to know what to do. So I learned a lot on the job through supervision from supervisors and through sitting in on team meetings where I learned about diagnosis and and learn, hearing cases and understanding how they could be handled. And so it was a master's degree education without the master's degree, honestly. Got it. So now you, you've been this peer provider, you're going to companies and you're helping companies uh, with their systems. And now you have this idea for a book or is there something before that? No, no. So on, at some point, I, I had always wanted to write a book. Actually, I started trying when I was 18 and I was first diagnosed. But of course, at that time, I didn't have enough of a history and my story just wasn't ready to be out there yet. And so I got frustrated and I gave it up. And there were a number of other times where I really wanted to, but um, I guess my my as I evolved and grew, I knew I had more than just a story. I knew I had started to come across a methodology that could really help others. So that's what led me to write my book. Would you be willing to share some of the methodology? Well, sure. I I think it was a combination of both the DBT that I learned, coping strategies, 
And then also for me, a spiritual practice. And those two things together combined to like create this secret sauce. It really was just learning how to manage my intense emotions because I didn't realize before this, I thought that I was just going to have intense emotions and I was going to have to like sit with them and wait for it to pass. And it never was going to pass. And I was going to be stuck. But once I learned coping strategies, which I talk about in the book a little bit, and I talk about DBT a little bit. And then I also, and once I learned how to tap into the spiritual source for me, um, that's when the recovery really started to take off. So I want to ask you about the spiritual source. Yes. Because, you know, many people are familiar with like AA and God, but not everybody believes in God the way God is talked about. You know, some people might refer to it as the universe or spirit, or they may have, you know, their own word that they connected with. So in your book, Yes. Do you, how do you put spirit into context? Yes. So I was inspired actually by the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which is for those of you who don't know, when you work a 12 step program like Alcoholics Anonymous and others, um, there is a the best way I would describe it is like the central text that that they read is called the big book um, or its title is just Alcoholics Anonymous. But in that book, they refer to the higher power in a bunch of different ways. And they do that intentionally to make sure that it's all inclusive, that anyone, regardless of their spiritual practices, can um, really absorb what's in the book. I actually did the same thing. Every time I was talking about higher power, I used so many different words and tried to be clear also that you can insert your own. Um, but I used words like the divine or the universe or spirit, or I just kept capitalizing it so that people knew I was talking about the same thing, because I really believe it is all the same thing. And that's just my own belief. But um, I wanted to make it as inclusive as possible. So that's how I handled that. Mm -hmm. Is there something else you want to share about the book in particular? Yeah. So So each chapter of the book is a, has a vignette from my own experience. So every chapter, the title again is unlocked and every chapter has my own experience followed by a lesson learned. And so the lesson learned is a key. So you see the plan words there. Yeah. So um, every chapter has a different spiritual key. Um, that people can use and apply to their own life and recovery. So, um, exciting. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really exciting. Oh, thank you. And, and the whole idea is that 
Mental illness does not have to be a a death sentence, you know, like when I was first diagnosed, I felt like that was the end of my life, you know, it can actually be a springboard to one's higher self. Or another way of looking at it is it can be like, I also look at it as an invitation from one's higher power. And the invitation is you're going through this hard time. This is an invitation to get closer to me. Speaking of the higher power saying that. And so I really look at it like when if had I not had a diagnosis, I would not have gone looking for this beautiful spiritual life that has transformed everything. So, um, and, you know, they talk about that in the 12 step rooms. Also, I, I actually belong to a 12 step program for, um, food addiction and I've been in it for, um, a number of years and that's its own story. But, um, but, you know, they talk too about how, these obstacles are really opportunities to grow and to grow emotionally, but it can also be an opportunity to grow spiritually. And in my practice, um, that was the first time I had actually heard that message, which was, it's not about why me, it's not about I'm a victim. It's about no, obstacles are an opportunity. And you can take on the role of, okay, what what is this challenge and how can I overcome it? And as I'm overcoming it in my practice, we believe that we are coming closer to our enlightened self and that we need obstacles to kind of rub up against us, to polish us. I love this, like, I don't know, do we call this an analogy? You know, and yeah. I, I, mean, I think of this like beautiful polished stone, you yeah. know, the way, you know, that's how I visualize it from your description. And that is so beautiful because yeah. you know, there is so much of us, you know, we're all, we all judge ourselves, right? We all yes. have something. We might not have a, a diagnosed, you know, mental challenge, but we all have things that we struggle with. And I feel yes. like even though I haven't read your book yet, which I will be, I feel like there's something in there for everybody, whether you have, you know, this challenge or not. Yes. Well, it really is an underdog story, a story of overcoming something really difficult and using it to better yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't wait for it to come out. So tell us how people can pre-order the book. Yeah, so it's available on Amazon.com, on BarnesandNoble.com, um, and I believe it's also available on Target.com. Um, so those are the best ways to find it right now. Um, it's also available. Um, the links are also on my website, um, and my website is just EmilyGrossman.net. N-E-T. Um, so those, and you can also, that's a great way to contact me as well as through my website. Um, yeah. Yeah. And all all of your links to order the book, um, to connect with you, they will be in the show notes. So anybody who's out there listening that can't write anything down right now, you can just look in the show notes later and you'll be able to find everything. 
Wonderful. Gosh, I'm so excited for this. I have seen the cover. It looks fantastic. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel inspired, you know, there's things in, you know, my own family challenges. And I know that by me reading this book and sharing this book, it's going to help, you know, people in my family, but also people in the entire world. So thank you for sharing your story and, and being, you know, inspired to help others. Thank you, Candice. The, the, I do this because I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kindness looks good on everyone. And that's why the Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities podcast has partnered with The Kindness Cause, a creatively curated online shopping experience of fashion-forward gifts that donate to nonprofit organizations to help you shop with purpose and donate in style. Together, our mission is to spread kindness, give back and empower individuals to pursue their dreams through our exclusive line of inspirational merchandise that not only uplifts your spirits, but also gives back to those in need. Every purchase donates to a charitable nonprofit organization. To see this exclusive line, make a purchase and support a cause, head over to the show notes for the direct link. And there's so much more. I mean, you and I could probably talk about a lot of other things, but on the podcast, you know, we're all about sharing and you had mentioned the two of my three favorite words, passion and purpose. And I always ask those three P questions. So my first question to you is, what is something you're passionate about that people might not know about you? Okay, so I know that people obviously are getting the message that I am passionate about mental health and recovery. But on the side, I love dancing. And that's something I'm really passionate about. I just love since I was a little girl, when I heard music, I had to move. It's just the way I'm wired. And so um, I've, I used to be a competitive dancer growing up. And now I, you know, I um, was taking a hip hop class for a while, but any kind of dance, I want to start getting into partner dancing. But that's something I'm really passionate about, because it's like no time has gone by when I get to dance. Yeah. Dancing can help in so many different ways. I actually had a couple on that. Um, they have a dance school, ballroom dancing. I think they have some other classes there, but it's primarily ballroom dancing. And they shared several stories of people, um, and how dancing transformed their lives. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, we know that it can definitely help when you're you know, you're feeling down. It's a combination of the music and the movement that, you know, yeah. definitely lift you up. Yeah. 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 No, it's been transformation. Do that. Keep doing that. <laughs> yes. Yes, ma'am. I absolutely <laughs> will. I absolutely will. Okay. What is your definition of purpose? Yeah. So my definition of purpose is I believe that we are, even before we're born, whatever higher source you believe in, 
gives you a mission, something you're meant to come into this universe and do. And I really believe that we all have a mission and a purpose in life. And so my definition is really just that. It's what you're born to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And often, you know, it's that combination. You find what you're, figure out your purpose and it becomes your passion. Yes. Yes. And, and in my case, it also really helped me with my recovery to find my purpose and my mission. You know, that was an important part of my story. But now I have like a sentence that I kind of keep as my true north about my own mission. Mm-hmm. And I believe that my mission is to help people heal through hearing my recovery story. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I so everybody when should write their mission statement. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if I'm if I'm, when I'm working, you know, now I work on my own as a life coach and a speaker and a writer, but what, and I've, I've made a lot of different career turns to get there, but each time I spend time to make a turn, it's been because I felt like I wasn't aligned with my mission and my purpose. So it's kind of my true North. Mm -hmm. And now do you feel like you're in the exact alignment? Yes. Absolutely. The work I'm doing now is exactly what I'm meant to be doing. It doesn't mean that, you know, down the road, there might be something else that comes from what you're doing. Right. You never know what that thing could be because, you know, over time, things change, evolve. And it could be something else that just leads you to the next path. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But for now, I really feel in alignment and that's a really great feeling. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last question is, is there a possibility, a dream or a vision you have that hasn't come to fruition yet? Yeah. So I have a number of them. I actually, when I'm chanting, chanting is actually partially about manifesting as well. And so when I'm chanting, I'm visualizing the things I'm trying to manifest in my life. And so um, right now, the biggest one I'm hopeful to bring into my life is a partner, um, a romantic partner. It's something that I feel like I've done a lot of work on myself and growth. And I feel like I'm ready to welcome the right person into my life. So um, it's been definitely a process to get there and a lot of self-reflection and self-work, but um, that's really something I'm hopeful about. Well, Emily, I mean, you have such a huge heart and the right person will come into your life because they're going to see that, you know, and it is timing, you know, it is timing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and, you so uh, much, Candace. Yeah, for I really that. feel I can't wait <laughs> to see how this manifests because I know it's going to be like your person. You know that that term they say, I found my person. You're yes. Gonna and you're going to say, I found my person. I can't wait. Yes. To oh, thank you, Candace. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like it's important for people to know that people with mental illness can have successful careers, can have successful relationships. So I feel like in that way also, I want to use that as an inspirational tool for others, you know, to really show that it's possible. 
And I have a lot of love in my life. I have a lot of wonderful dear friends and great relationships with family members. And a lot of that has been a work in progress. And I just feel like I'm ready to take it to the next level. Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. You're so inspiring. I mean, like I'm ready to be like teary eyed. Oh, Candace, thank you so much for your insightful questions. You're such a good interviewer. And I, I had so much fun being here with you. So everybody who's listening, please, please, please go pre-order and order Emily's new book, Unlocked. I know it's got the subtitle here. It's Unlocked. Tell us Yeah, sure. It's Unlocked from Psych Hospital to Higher Self, and it's 25 Keys to Recovering from Depression, Anxiety, and Bipolar Disorder. Yes, and even if you're not dealing with your own mental challenge, this book can help you understand somebody who is having a challenge. Yes. You can help them. Yes. And it comes out October 17th. I forget if I told you that already. Yes, October 17th. I always remember because my mother's birthday. Oh, (laughs) happy birthday to your mom. Thanks. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again. I cannot, I actually cannot thank you enough. Oh, thank you, Candice. I can't thank you enough. So it's a, a mutual admiration society. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, please submit a rating and review and share with a friend. This helps us reach more listeners so we can make a bigger impact. From time to time, we share our reviews live on our episode. Your review could be the next one we share. Please head on over to our website, passionpurposeandpossibilities.co to receive a free gift I am waiting for you. And if you heard something today that truly inspired you, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at Candace Snyder at passion, purpose, and possibilities.co. Thank you again for listening.